Alrighty, to be determined in this case means the ABCs of missions. And, and I did, actually, I, I like to call it the ABCs of church planting. No, this is a great audience here. And we've got the sheep and the goats. Or, I guess, on this way, yeah. So, um, this is really going to be hard talking around this obstacle, but I'm going to do my best to do it. People back here can't see me. I apologize. Uh, I'm Chuck. I'm a family practice doctor. I live in Amman, Jordan. My wife is Michelle. Uh, she's the cutest thing on two legs. Uh, uh, Caleb is was four months when we uh, old when we left America in 1995. He's about to have his 15th birthday. Uh, Mallory Grace is uh, was born in Pakistan. She does not like it when you call it Pakistan. We call that George Bush pronunciation. We're going to get Saddam Hussein in Iraq and Iran. It's like Iran. Where did you run? It's Iran. You know. So anyway, she was born... Off topic. She was born in Pakistan. Squirrel. She was born in Pakistan... And she is about to have her 13th birthday. And so I'm going to talk real fast because I've got to go in a couple of days to be sure I get home uh, to be there for her birthday. Um, that was jokes. Talking faster does not get me there any faster. <laughs> not all my jokes make sense except to me and my family that like them. I don't know what to do with this big long tail. I really I feel like I'm passing a tapeworm. <laughs> <laughs> And now I've embarrassed myself. Look, look how red I am, Becca. <laughs> okay, look what I do. Uh, nobody else is like me on the planet. And so I got to think up my own way to be a, a, a missionary. Um, and so I thunk up uh, this thing. I call it Health Strategy Coach. And what that is, is that nobody in my missions organization understands what I do, and nobody knows who my supervisor really is, and so I've got virtually no accountability, but the budget keeps coming in. So far. So far, yeah, so don't tell on me. And, and here's the way that I'm wired, and here's the way I see it. I try to look... I, 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 I feel the force, you know. Like people are like, give me the facts. I'm like, why, why get slowed down by facts, man? <laughs> feel the force. And you young Padawans, I'm going to teach you how to feel the force. And what I do is I try to look into the future and try to say, where has the gospel in 1,980 years since Jesus was crucified, where has the gospel not gone and where is the gospel not likely to be in the next 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 years? And I told somebody earlier there was a, a group called YWAM. I absolutely love YWAM. They're youth with a mission. We also call them youth without any money. <laughs> a lot of people call them young women after men. But <clears throat> y'all have heard all these jokes. So the deal is, there's a tons of YWAMers out there. And if there is a crack 
in a country, wildlammers will scoot through it, and they'll make disciples, and they'll plant churches. They're awesome at it. And not just wildlammers. People from the disciples around the world are being mobilized to the ends of the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit to advance the glory of God to every tribe, tongue, language, and people. If you didn't hear this enough last night, then you need medication. Because <laughs> I really hammered it last night, didn't I? Sorry, I went a little crazy on you guys. So I was off my lithium. and So that's what God's doing. And if there's a crack... People are getting through, and whenever, wherever they can get through, and wherever the gospel can be proclaimed, disciples will be made. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, people get people don't get saved because they live next to a Christian. You can't do the gospel. It's a it's a set of information about the earth got cursed. Jesus who created the earth, became a human being and let human beings spit on him and kill him. And then his blood purchased their redemption. He's coming again and the age of the curse will be over. But now we live in a temporary time, a time of curse. By the way, that part about the curse, this is how I share the gospel with Muslims. I tell them the story of the curse because they're really into curses. Why is your daughter sick? Oh, I think a neighbor put a curse on It takes them a while to tell you that, but that's what they're all believing. I think a curse. So they're really into curses. And here's the deal. The reason I like to witness with the, with the point of the curse is it's in Genesis 3. It's on the second page of the Bible. After Adam and Eve sinned, God said, Cursed are you on account of your sin. Cursed is the earth. From now on, it will grow weeds and thistles, and it will not bring forth food for you. There's a curse on the earth. Then about halfway through the Bible in Galatians, it says, Jesus saved us from the curse by becoming a curse. But then on the very last page of the Bible, Romans or Revelation 21, it says, no longer will there be any curse. The whole book is about the curse that got put on, the Savior that came to remove the curse. We're temporary living in the age of the curse. There will be a time when there is no curse. It's an incredible message. It's the gospel of salvation. It needs to be told. It needs to be told to every human being. It's not going to be told to every human being. Don't get it in your mind thinking, well, every person on the earth needs to hear the gospel. That would be wonderful. But after Jesus died on the cross, it was 1,500 years before North and South America were discovered. And many, 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 many people were born and lived in li- their lives and died. It's not about taking the gospel. Nowhere in the Bible does it say every human being will hear the gospel. Nowhere does it say every family will hear the gospel. It doesn't say every community will hear the gospel. What does it say? What does it promise will hear the gospel? Nations. Nations. And the word nations in Greek is ethne. And uh, Dan told me recently that the term panta, which means all in Greek, panta ta ethne, ethne is ethnos, ethnic groups. Panta ta ethne is used 11 times in the New Testament. It's used all throughout the Old Testament. 
So that's what it's all about, is trying to find a way to advance this gospel of the kingdom to all the nations, and then the end will come. We'll get out of this cursed world. It's the only way to win the war on terrorism, the only way to defeat AIDS, the only way to get rid of corruption and adultery and sin and hatred and selfishness and, and, uh, and uh, YouTube and all the bad things in the world. <coughs> Okay, Beavis and Butthead will go and all that stuff. Uh, are they still around? I don't have any idea. Okay, so we're going to do the ABCs of, of church planting. And, and here's my deal. I guess you're going to find out in a minute. Let me just move along here. So what, what I want you to think about first is I want you to think from a medical standpoint. Now, I know not everybody here is a healthcare personnel but the majority of you are. So let's say 12-year-old female presents to your ER per ambulance status post-motor vehicle accident. She is a victim of multiple trauma. She's immobile and unresponsive. She has multiple facial lacerations and abrasions. Her abdominal exam reveals a puncture wound in the left lower quadrant. Uh, her left lower extremity has a compound tib-fib fracture. What do you do? Where do you start? There you go. Family practice teacher got it second. Usually the nurses get it first. Usually the plastic surgeons say, I think we need to work on that facial laceration. <laughs> That's an $800 job, but I've got some... 10 of silk right here in my, <laughs> you know. So the deal is we do strategy in a, the same way every time for a reason. Because it's all about the patient, isn't it? We do the ABCs of trauma. We check the airway. We check the breathing. We check the circulation. I was taught you undress them and you give them drugs and then you check the extras. You check the lab work and the CT scan and whatever else that your hospital's trying to pay off, MRI machine, and you do all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> okay? We do it for a real good reason because otherwise we might would go with our biases, Correct? If I was a plastic surgeon, I could say, there's nothing more important than aesthetics. And so this is a 12-year-old girl with facial lacerations. Would that be pretty bad? Surgeon comes in and goes, puncture wound, left upper quadrant. It could be a ruptured spleen. So he focuses on that. Orthopedic surgeon, tib-fib fracture. Send her to the OR room. Tell the wife the ski trip is back on. All this kind of stuff. And we're in the elevator, and she's not breathing. Nobody ever, no one ever checked to see if she was breathing. But we, she did have stabilized tib fib, <laughs> but she never breathed. So that's the reason we don't let that happen. We developed a strategy as physicians, and we all follow it because the nurses make us follow it. <laughs> for nurses we're dead without you and every patient's dead without you and only I've got the guts to say it because I'm going back to Jordan and I don't get <laughs> and this isn't my real name anyway <laughs> okay 
We need to do missions. We need to do church planting. We need to do following Jesus the exact same way. Not go with our biases. Oh, I feel called to the ping pong ministry, man. I mean, honestly, our church had a barbecue ministry. It's like, who doesn't feel called to drink beer and and eat barbecue? It's like, I feel called to that too, you know. Uh, So we don't go with our own biases, do we? Okay, so we got to come up with a strategy. So let's take a look at the planet Earth. Planet Earth is many millennia status post introduction of sin, i.e., we had have entered the age of the curse. There are multiple sequela of the curse: famine and hunger, disease such as HIV, tuberculosis, cancer, leprosy. There is a lot of poverty. There is a lot of war. And there is ubiquitous lostness. It's everywhere. It's all around us. What do you do? ABCs. Y'all heard the talk or you saw the first slide. If I went with my biases like the plastic surgeon, I may say, well, I'm a family practice doctor, therefore I should. And so I would project my personality and my bias on the situation. That wouldn't be wise, would it? I'm a piano tuner. How am I going to save the world? Well, I think it's most important that every piano on earth is tuned. (laughs) I mean, come on. That's pretty important. War, disease, out of tune pianos. (laughs) So we're going to do what's best for the patient. And the patient is... The planet Earth is actually the ethnic groups on planet Earth. And here's the deal about strategy. When you do strategy, you think backwards. And I, I usually draw it on the whiteboard. Margaret cleaned it off for me. You know what, Margaret, to save time, I'm not going to mess this up again. Thank you, sweetheart. But I do, I do strategy backwards. And I think of what do I want to get and what I want to get is I want to get a church planting movement. It says, remember I told you last night, that Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, they landed at a place called Perga. They went north to a place called Pisidian Antioch. And they made disciples there. That was the town where an argument broke out and half of the people sided with the apostles and half of the people sided with the Jews. Okay, remember this? And then they got run out of town to Iconium. And it says, and the gospel, so they left behind some disciples, and the gospel spread throughout the whole region. Paul and Barnabas did not go to every community in the whole region. They did not go to every family. They didn't go to every person. But the gospel spread throughout the whole region. That means that that group of disciples, and guys, let me make life simple for you. I told you last night what a disciple was. You read the whole New Testament. You try to roll it into one phrase, and this is what I've come up with. A disciple will readily risk his or her life for the gospel. That's a chuckism. That's for free. Um, It's not biblical, but what I did was I just took everything about what Jesus said and everything that I saw about the behavior of disciples, and I tried to roll it into a phrase that, I can remember, even though Rick said I graduated last in my medical school class. It wasn't last, okay? (laughs) No, I was up in there somewhere, but man, I could not buy a B the first two years being an English major. So, 
And I tried to buy a beak. Um, <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> so I wonder how many times that joke would work and people would laugh. Uh, we're not going to find out. Does anybody have any idea where I was going? All right. So it's about church planting movements. A disciple is an individual who will risk his or her life for the gospel. Disciples intuitively, intrinsically, inherently, automatically, they got to get together. When you got a group of disciples, that's called a church. Like when you got a group of grapes and they're hanging by a stem, it's called a cluster. It's a church is not a building. My kids have really gotten good at this because everybody in America says, "Hey, I'll see you guys. Where do you guys? Where do you go to church?" Well, we go to Third Baptist Church. It's like third in the town of a thousand people, you know, <laughs> down on such and such avenue. That's where they go to church, and so that's where the church is. I'll meet you at the church. We need to have the day to clean up the church. The church is not a place. And so I've trained my kids, and anytime somebody says, so I'll meet you at the church, my kids always go, building. (laughs) It's about as bad as me. Somebody will mention the country, they'll say Dominican Republic, and I'll go, reached. (laughs) I'm sorry, we're a highly biased, obnoxiously open mouth. It's like there's no filter in our brain saying, don't say that. Uh, We'll just say anything, all of us. And I'll never get invited back here again. So I'm just going to tell it to you the way it is. So church is not a place. It's not a building. You can't go to church. You can't clean up the church. Well, in a minute when we talk about the church being disciples, actually it's possible. But it's... The church is not a place, and the church is not an event. You can't say, whoa, almost time for church. I'll see you after church. Church isn't something you do. Church is disciples. The Bible says, and the church gathered. Or please meet Nympha and the church that meets at her house. The church was the people. The church is the people. Okay, so a gathering of disciples that are baptized and that they and they take the Lord's Supper together and they study the Lord's Word together and they pray together and they fast and they seek the will of the Lord and they try to make a they care for the poor and they try to make disciples among all nations. I don't I'm not sure what number that could be, but the only number in the Bible is where two or more are gathered. It, that's church. So when four of us sit on the floor in my house and that's who and we're committed we call ourselves a church and we're committed to whatever I'm calling that a church because that's what we're having to plan among Muslims. Five people get into a room, they're going to be arrested for being terrorists or for being Christians. And they, so we meet in different houses and we meet in small groups and We meet so that we can build one another up to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the purpose of the church, to explode it out. And this is what we call a church planting movement. This little church goes over to where my cousin lives and we start 
tell the gospel and make a couple of disciples there. And they start a church. Boom, now we're in two centers. And now we go in a couple more directions. And pretty soon the gospel is spreading throughout the whole region. It can happen in a matter of months or just a few years if you make real disciples and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a church planting movement. It is not a phenomena built on the personality of a charismatic speaker. It's not built on programs of an institution like a preaching program and a worship program. It's, it's only power source is the Holy Spirit and it totally rocks. But you can't get to a church planning movement without getting to a church, right? Church planning, move, church planning movements could be hundreds or thousands of small churches. So the, to get to that, you have to have a strategy that helps you get to church. Now, this is in Dr. Rick Donlin's living room, and there's a bunch of folks there. And you see that many of them are white and many of them are African American, and they live down in the hood, and I've been there many times. This is part of my house church network. And I kind of didn't clarify last night. I don't live in Memphis. I'm from Memphis. Um, that's as close to Memphis as I want to be. I want to be from Memphis. <laughs> I live in Amman, Jordan. My wife and kids are there now. Uh, when I come to the States, I, I have to call somebody my home church. This is my home church, my homeboys. They take care of me. They wash my back. You know what I'm saying? And... <clears throat> See, I'm bilingual. So, so uh, squirrel. I mean, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Church. To get to church, you got to have what? you got to have disciples. Because the components of a church planning movement is church or churches. The components of churches, of churches is disciples. Dan came up with this slide, and I think it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Where did you get that? Are those ping pong balls? Okay, but but y'all didn't do this yourselves, right? Now, he, Rick gets things off the web. Okay, so you got to have disciples to get to church, to get to church planning movement. See how we're working strategy backwards? But here's the deal. How? Here's this. This is the question that swallows us. How do you do that in a country where you're not allowed to proclaim the gospel? Because you can't get to disciples without the proclamation of the gospel. And so when we can go into a country and we can say, gather around, gather around, there's a free medical clinic, then there's a Jesus film, and then we're going to share with you the how to get saved and how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and 900 people listen, that's awesome. And we've been doing that effectively. There are some missionaries out there that really need to totally be applauded that have done this so successfully in South America and the Caribbean Basin and Sub-Saharan Africa and Thailand and I don't know, lots of places. You can't do that in the Muslim countries. You can't do it. You could, you could do 20 minutes of it until, until, until the riot police broke in and they shot tear gas and stuff, but it's just not allowed. The, it's not legally allowed by the country. There are laws against proselytization of t- telling a foreign religion, and it's culturally not allowed. We are Muslims. It's, we are Islamic. And by lifting up Jesus, by inference, you are putting down the primacy of Muhammad. 
it's wrong, it's slanderous, it's blasphemous. So it's just inappropriate to do with groups. So we gotta th- we got to think outside the box of just going in and preaching to big groups. Let's go this other way. So that brings us to the ABCs of Mission Strategy. And I wrote a book called Preach and Heal. There's no more free copies. They're $150 each. <laughs> did you know somebody actually did that? I made that joke and I said there are $150 for surgeons. And somebody went up and said, I need to pay for my book. <laughs> like, would you give her 10 free books and give her a Chrysler LeBaron to whatever, you know, some kind of, anybody, she, that's a disciple. Anybody that pay $150 for that book. Um, <laughs> I don't have one. Michelle's got one. All right. The ABCs come up with access to the community. Now, this is Dan's slide because mine was like black words on a white background with no pictures. And Dan gives this talk more effectively than I do. This is Dan Bivens with Medical Missions Response. And I'm going to talk in a minute about the importance of, of short-term medical teams to supplement a good strategy. So Dan works for MMR, and he gives this talk also um, from his perspective because it's a little bit different. But it's still the same. The first thing we have to do is access the community. The deal is the word access takes up like a major chapter in my book because it's a big deal. When you, If you can drive into, if you can get a visa into Yemen and then drive into the capital of Sana'a, you have not accessed the community. You have entered a country. But access means you're in, you're trusted, you're loved, you're appreciated, you're moving in and out of the community over and over, and no one thinks that you're a missionary or CIA. You can go anywhere you want to go, and people like you. They respect what you're doing. That's hard to do in Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, communist countries. Okay? Now, missionaries can do it in missionary countries with a missionary visa. So, why are you in our country? Well, I'm a missionary. Oh, well, here in Venezuela, we appreciate that. Okay, great. You can't pull that off in Yemen. Okay? There's no checkbox. Let's say I'm applying for a visa to Yemen. There ain't no checkbox for missionary. And if you write it in, (laughs) so the first thing you have to do is have a strategy in which you can access the community. Guess how long am I supposed to talk? Two two hours? What did you say? An hour? I started at 4.15 and I stop at what, John? 5.15 or 5.30? Are you all lying? You guys are so bad. Do you like hearing me, or is there the thing after me is like any excuse to not go to Gross Anatomy? <laughs> I've had that one before. It's like, wow, they really love me at the CMDA meeting today. And they're like, no, it's biochemistry is after you. <laughs> so you select your community by what I call the 100 hours of prayer. If you will put in 100 hours of prayer into a community 
And at the same time, you're investigating that community. You're looking for indicators of where God's work, and you're looking for indicators of what the community needs. This is one of the things uh, that will allow you access to come and go. Um, But if you put in your 100 hours of prayer, I made the number up years ago when an old missionary asked me, well, Chuck, how will we know? where God wants us to work. And I said, um, after we put in a hundred hours of prayer, God will... (laughs) Dude, I'm a prophet. It was like 96.8 hours he calls me. He goes, we've put in almost a hundred hours of prayer and God opened the door. And I've had team after team tell me that. So maybe I should lower the number and start saying 10. Maybe God's custom making it. I don't know, but all I know is, like in Memphis... We talked about it, and I, and I said, they said, well, how do we know where to start planting a church? I said, you walk these streets, and you put in 100 hours of prayer, and if there's two hours of you, that's 50 hours each. And you will find a, a person of peace. You will find a, communi- a, a place. You'll find a need that needs to be filled. You'll find the way that God wants you to access the community. So you, one of the things you do while you're accessing the community, and these things do overlap to some degree. They're not all necessarily sequential. You put in your hundreds of hours, and that helps. And and you build trust, and you want to end up being seen by the community as uh, a person of integrity. And this is a time that I could mention short-term teams. While you're buying your time, like let's say. Margaret and I are in Yemen, and we're going to try to, we know of an area, I know of an area, it's called Dalmar, and I've been there, and there's one disciple, and there are three provinces, and there are one million people, and we know of one disciple, and as far as I know, currently, there's no church planting activity there. There's been some in the past, but there's none there. So Margaret and I decide we're going to try to plant a church among the Dalmari dialect in Yemen. We got one disciple that's going to help help us. Guess what his name is? It's Ahmed. I am not lying. <laughs> By the way, if you ever need help, like at a restaurant, you just go, uh, Mohammed. And I mean, like, seventy-five percent of the people will turn around. Uh, but don't name your dog Mohammed or anything like that, man. So, or a teddy bear. So. Um, Squirrel, yeah, sorry. I forgot my medication. Margaret and I are in Delmar. We're going to plant a church. We are. We go in and we do some investigation and we drink tea. Now, we're not married and so we would never do this. Is it? But let's say we're both the same gender or we're married or my wife is with us or something like that. Um, and so we're going in and we drink tea and stuff like this and we're putting in our time of prayer and things like that. In some situations, it could be a really good time for us as we met like community leaders and people to have a free medical clinic. In some cultures and some places, especially like in Darfur or something, it just fits right in. So you call Dan. Actually, you cannot get to Dan without going through me. <coughs> um, because there's not enough medical teams to go everywhere that asks for them. The Caribbean Basin in South America is asking for 9,000 teams a year. So when I ask for one dentist for Darfur, how many years have I asked for a dentist for Darfur? Uh, 
Three years, we have yet to get a dentist that can go to Darfur. Because it takes you, well, it, it, it takes at least two weeks. So, it to get to Dan, Dan only sends teams to the least reached people groups. And to get to them, you have to go through me. Or you might could go to Dan and Mike, Dan might could work something out with you. But... Um, you could, we could use a short-term medical team, and that could help us build trust in the community. And we could be put in in our hundred hours of prayers, and we're finding a way to access the gospel. When we develop our strategy, we have to have a strategy that gets us behind closed doors because we cannot proclaim the gospel in public. And this is what kills people. They say, oh man, I'm going to go plant a church in Yemen, and I'm going to do it by teaching English. And so the government allows them to go in and they get 20, 30 students that sit in front of them, but they never get inside homes. They don't have a strategy to get behind closed doors or a a business or computers or something like that. I've seen so many friends try these things and they, they have varying degrees of success. Sometimes English, uh, like young people can make friends with young people and get invited home into home. Sometimes it can work like that, but in the most difficult places, um, healthcare is the best. The other thing I like about healthcare is it's what Jesus commanded. We're getting that to a minute, in, into that in a minute. But what we got to do is we have we have to develop a strategy that gets us behind closed doors. We have to get inside houses where intimate conversations can take place. Every time I get behind closed doors and I start talking about the gospel, I don't know what happens. As soon as I get to the resurrection, what happens? There's an interruption. I have no idea why. I start talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection and a cell phone rings or a baby cries or somebody comes knocking at the door. Satan doesn't want us talking about that. So we do this in teams of two so that one person can handle the interruptions But our strategies are going to get us behind closed doors. Margaret and I are going to get, and Ahmed, we're going to get into home after home after home. And sometimes I sit down with people and I do the math. And I just say, you know what I've learned is that out of 100 Muslims, if I witness to 100 Muslims, 80 of them say, I am a Muslim, I'm not interested in this. 20 of them say, that's very interesting information. I'd like to talk with you again on this. Out of that 20, two of them will say, I have waited all my life to hear this. Or, I had a dream about Jesus. And within days or weeks are telling me, tell me how to have this Holy Spirit in my heart. Okay? Two out of a hundred. But I'm expecting 80%, 90% rejections to find those couple of people. You can call them elect. You can call them chosen. You, I, don't predetor, I don't know what it is, but they're out there. And so if there's two out of a hundred and we want a church of six, then we've got to go through about 300 witnesses, right? There's five people per house. So how many houses do we need to get into? 60 houses. So I want my church to be established in a short amount of time because if I get a couple of disciples and I don't get my church established for about two years, 
those disciples are going to be so persecuted that they're gone. So we want to get into 60 houses like in two or three months. So we want, to just, we want to develop a strategy that gets us into a house a day for two months. That'd be every day. So, or three houses a day for a month or so, okay? So that we can share the gospel. And remember, I get into the house and I start to talk about Jesus, and if they say, no, we're Muslim, great, no problem. We just check one more, one more off the list that we tried. We're just working through the numbers to find the person that says, I've waited all my life to hear this. And guys, man, it's happened to me. It's happened to me so many times. People will tell me, I mean, I was sharing the gospel in Iran with a guy, and I remember telling him the Christmas story, and and said, uh, for unto us is born this day uh, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he turned to me and goes, a Savior? Do we have one of those in my religion? I said, sorry, there's only one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got this clever little trick. He said, tell me about him. I said, oh, I'd like to tell you about him, but it's an amazing story of God and I can't tell it in less than one hour. Well, of course, in America, they'd say, okay, see ya. <laughs> but Africans and Asians are not allowed to say that. They say, what could be more important than this? So I shared the whole gospel with him from start to finish, from the curse to the removal of the curse, and he kept going, this is an amazing story. This is an amazing story. Why has no one ever told me this before? I can't wait to get back to Tehran and buy an Injil, which is a New Testament. And I'm like, boy, you're going to have a sad experience when you go into a bookstore and ask for a New Testament in Iran. But I didn't have one that he could read. I mean, we were speaking mostly in English. He actually spoke some Urdu. He was there translating, forget that, for Pakistan, for Pakistani people. Uh, after the ban- earthquake and BAM, and uh, we were waiting on an airplane. The third part of the ABCs is you care for the needy. Dan put communicate the gospel. I don't want. Li- I don't put that on mine. You care for the needy. Every strategy needs to care for the needy. Why? Because it's a manipulative way to make disciples. No. Because Jesus Christ commanded it. If you love your neighbor, if you heal the sick, if you care for the poor and the dying, and you didn't make a disciple, you still did the right thing. Now, if you didn't share the gospel, you're guilty of malpractice. But if you just preach the gospel and you don't care for the sick... You're guilty of malpractice. Every time Jesus sent out his disciples, he told them to preach and to heal. Every time. In the Great Commission, it's not as explicit. It's implicit. He says, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, do you think Jesus modeled and commanded compassion and care for the needy? Everywhere he went, he healed the sick and he told about the kingdom of God. He put it into the DNA of his disciples. 
if it's not in our DNA, there's something wrong with us. So every church planting missionary strategy has to have compassion built into it. Some way of caring for the needy. Provide a service that endears families and the community to your team. Meet felt needs. It gives credibility and legitimacy. Here's the reason why. You gotta, you gotta plan ahead to be successful. If you get in, if Margaret and I got in, we did our strategy for three years and nobody ever got saved, no problem. We'll never get in trouble. But if five people get baptized, we will be raked over the coals. Because we're the foreigners. Only we could have brought this cancer, this cancerous heresy into this community. And the gospel is a cancer. Islam is pure. This is cancerous. And what do you do to a cancer? You cut it out. Blood must be shed. And you start with threats. And you hope the cancer runs away. But if it doesn't, you take a knife to it. So we will be scrutinized. But if they like what we've done, if we have cared for, for mothers that are pregnant when no one else did, and we have changed the maternal mortality rate and the infant mortality rate, and we, and, and we have drunk tea and been in homes and, and everybody knows us and loves us, when the religious leader says, they have to go, they are converting people to Christianity, over and over, we've seen community members rise up and say, no, they have to stay. No one else has ever loved us like that. I'll just tell you a quick story that's kind of funny. Is Ray here, Ray Brown? Ray was here yesterday. Ray... I'm not supposed to tell this story. I'm such a sinful person, but I'm so good at it. Sin. So I'm going with it because I got the grace things. I think the Bible says sin all the more that grace may abound, correct? So so Ray gets into this community. Did I, did I misquote that? My theology is sometimes a little fuzzy. So it's not that bad. So Ray gets into this Entirely closed place as a family practice doctor, and he starts healing people, but he's blatantly evangelizing and passing out tracts and just doing it the old-fashioned way. Which now he says, "What kind of an idiot was I?" You know, but he didn't. He was going to get out there and 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 pre- proclaim the gospel, and nobody cared until a bunch of people got saved. They complained to the religious leader. Religious leader came to the mayor. And the mayor said, Dr. Ray, I'm sorry, you're out of here. Well, the mayor's wife was out of town at the time. The mayor's wife came back into town, and all the ladies went to her and said, Your husband is kicking Dr. Ray out of the community. He's the only one that cares about women and children, which is so true in that part of Africa. It's really scary. Women are not human the way that they're treated. So he cares about us. He cares. He, he gives us prenatal vitamins, all these things. She said, don't you worry. Let me handle it. <laughs> so she had a conversation with her husband, and I'm not the best, most delicate way I can say this is that she said that the women had a plan to withhold their affections from their husbands 
Unless Dr. Ray was allowed to stay. He thought about it one-third of a microsecond. Dr. Ray is still there. He survived the scrutiny because he was doing something valuable for the women, and the women rose up to fight for him when the punch came. You want to be scrutinized. I've been drugged before court so many times. I've been interrogated so many times. I love it. I love it because I'm kind of wanting to get kicked out. Paul and Barnabas got kicked out so much, and I'm thinking that must be the sign of a good missionary. And I've been only kicked out of like one country and about two restaurants for talking too loud. Um, And, uh, you know, so you want to be scrutinized because it means you're being successful for the gospel. Okay? But you want to survive the scrutiny so that you can establish a healthy church. Now, if you're there for 25 years and you've got churches like Galore and stuff like this, that's time to get, you should have moved on anyway. So, but during these initial church planting, disciple making church planting stages, that church needs you and you need to be seen as valuable to the community so that when they come and knock on your door, and they do, and men with machine guns are standing there, and they've got notepads, and they say, why are you in our country, and all this stuff. And they interviewed Dr. Mike for five hours, and they interviewed me for an hour. And the next day I went down, and I saw this guy's boss, and I said, are we doing something wrong? Do you want us to leave the country? Oh, no, no, Dr. Chuck, we all love you. But there was a complaint, and we have told them that it has been thoroughly investigated and that you were completely innocent. They never asked me if I was giving out Bibles, and I was. They never asked me if I was sharing the gospel or if I was trying to proselytize. Guilty. A dear brother with another organization was was not doing anything to care, to care for the poor. He told people he was on a business platform or business visa, but he never did one penny of, of business. So they said, show us your books. He didn't have any books. He'd been there three years. He'd never done any business. They said, we hear you're giving out Bibles. We hear you're trying to convert people to Christianity. His visa was canceled and he was kicked out. But they never asked me the questions that could get me in trouble. They probably almost certainly knew what I was doing, but they didn't really care. We're helping their people. And we're doing it in the name of the Ministry of Health. I mean, I tell the Ministry of Health, look, here's all the patients we saw in your name, and here's all the pictures. And he's showing his boss, well, I've got some, I've recruited some American doctors, and I've got them working for me. And man, he never left his office. He drank tea all day long. I stop at 5.15. Okay, you make disciples. That's all I'm going to say about that. I said it last night. If you didn't get it, boy, do you need brain surgery. <laughs> you make disciples. You, you, you tell the gospel and you make disciples. At that level that Jesus Christ said, if you make disciples, you'll get more disciples. If you make Christians... It's a wash. And then you empower the church, the group of disciples. And you do that in several ways. But 
I noticed one time in Acts, so many times there were verses like this. Then they, Paul and Barnabas, returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So many times. So tell me, and, and this says they would, they strengthened the, and encouraged the disciples. They appointed elders amongst them. Is another place. So tell me some ways that you empower the church based on those scriptures or anything that you can think of. And don't say buy an organ. I don't mean an organ in your body. I'm talking about an organ that you play. I mean, somebody needs a kidney transplant. Okay, how do you... Squirrel. How do you empower the church? Teach them how to make stained glass windows. Here you go. Thank you, dear. Teach them how to make stained glass. What are some of the things I said? Appoint elders. So there needs to be some leadership in the church. That's a biblical thing. So they, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. Okay? So what else? They strengthened. Yes, ma'am? They got disciples, and that means that they not only shared the gospel with them, but they trained them. They, some of the stuff I talked about last night, they trained them how to how to live by faith, how to persevere through trials, how to, uh, stories about Jesus. And that's, and, and the Bible says that they strengthened them. I think they strengthened them with teaching, lots of information. So they taught them. They did not open a seminary. Nobody went to seminary. They did not teach them to read in English. They had virtually no Bible, New Testament back then. So they taught them stories about Jesus, and then they, they encouraged them, appointed elders. The best thing they did to empower them was they left. They left. The verse I read says, and then they returned to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, And they came back through. They did most of their empowerment after they had already left. So they made disciples, they gave them some degree of empowerment, they left, and then they let those little baby disciples struggle and grow and stuff, and then they came back and they did a little bit more teaching and more empowering. Guess what they did on their second journey? They returned to those churches again and they empowered them. So these are the components of any missionary strategy. I don't care if you're just a, if you went to Bible school and seminary, you still follow these ABCs of strategy, just the same way you follow the ABCs of. Oh gosh, don't make me walk all the way through this. It's a lot of buttons. Just like you follow the ABCs of trauma. Okay. Now I want to throw up. We've got you know ten minutes left. These are some of the ways that we do it, and it's in my book, and I'm sorry I didn't leave more time for this. But tuberculosis dots, rehab, maternal child wellness, midwifery, hospice, and what we call community transformation. Some of you all have heard of CHE. Some of you have heard of community developments. These are all strategies that you can make follow those ABCs. But remember, I'm telling you, before you engage, you need to think through, will this strategy get to all the ABCs? Just get, and what the, the mistake we made in the past was, we're just going to get into Saudi Arabia. 
Well, if you didn't think it through, you're never going to be able to make disciples because you can't... You didn't even access the country. You entered the country. You'll never get behind closed doors. You see it? You see what I'm saying? you got to think through your strategies to do the ABCs. Let me walk you through an example. Let's talk about rehab because this one just blows me away. Guys, please, please, please come and start making some rehab strategies around the world because not UNICEF. March of Dimes did a study in 2006 and they made a list of where are the birth defects in the world and what countries have the worst birth defects and which countries have the least amount of birth defects. The country that has the highest percentage of birth defects, which is more than double the United States, it's like 9%, is Sudan. Now that's not super surprising because I do a lot of work in Sudan and, and um, the deliveries would probably be very poor and people are malnourished. There's no prenatal care. Okay, so that one didn't surprise me. But guess what number two is in the world? Ma'am? Saudi Arabia. Did I tell you that? Or do you? It's Saudi Arabia. Why? Intermarriage. Consanguinity? Consanguinity? Well, I don't know. Same blood. First cousins always marry first cousins. Their children's first cousins always marry first cousins. Their children's first cousins always marry... You do that, you get a lot of breakdown in the genetic code and you get a lot of moderate to severe birth defects. The third country, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, they were all the Middle Eastern, the modern, developed countries, Qatar and Bahrain and UAE. Jordan was number seven. It's all the Middle Eastern countries. Guess what? I hear disabled children screaming from the building across from me all the time, wailing in the night. It sounds demonic and spooky. Virtually everywhere I go, we see Down syndromes. We see a lot of kids with, with birth defects. In Saudi Arabia, it's in virtually every home because the average Saudi woman has, the average Arab woman has six children. In Saudi I commonly hear I was one of 9, 10, 11 kids. And if 9% of your children have birth defects, you do the math. There's a lot of birth defects. Guess what the families do? They put them in a back room. They don't count them as one of their children. When they tell their friends if they've got 9, they say, oh, I've got 8 kids. They keep them very clean, but it's a personal shame because they feel it's somehow related to, to their own sin. They take them to the doctor, they care for them, they love them, they clean them, they feed them, but there is no form of rehabilitation services in virtually any of these countries. So they're ashamed. Now think of how we could develop an ABC strategy. And we could get rich doing it in Saudi Arabia. If we wanted to, and then we could dig wells in Sudan. But we could charge money to go in and do an in-home evaluation and then physical therapists, occupational terrorists, uh, <laughs> rehab doctors, whatever they're called, rehabilitologists or whatever they are, physiatrists, I don't know what they're called. Um, they would develop a treatment plan and then we could have people that speak Arabic 
and train them nationals, national disciple makers, young ones, how to do the exercises, to take care of those contractures, to maximize mobility, to we can build frames over the beds, teach them how to to uh, put Velcro on their shirts and all these kinds of things that we take for granted in our country. Now, when you start to talk about Jesus, do you think they're going to listen? Because you're the only one that's ever come into their home and helped them deal with their family shame. Such an entree to the gospel. It follows all the ABCs. It could be a great way to ignite church planning movement. It takes champions. We don't have many people that say, I'll sell my practice and I will move there and I will implement that strategy and I will trust God to provide the resources. I don't know anybody that's doing this in Saudi Arabia or any of those countries. Hospice, same thing, exact same thing. The lady across the hall from me, they would come and get me all the time in the middle of the night because she was dying. The two ladies were in there. One of them was old and had dementia, and the other one was dying of cancer. And so we spent a lot of time with them, but my Arabic was so, Mishmal's boot was so terrible that I couldn't share the gospel with them. But if I had been young, providing hospice care, you get access to the community, you get behind closed doors, you're caring for the needy, you're in perfect position to make disciples. What I mean is when you start to talk about the gospel, they're leaning forward wanting to hear what you have to say because you've you've touched their lives in a tangible way. See, these are the kinds of strategies that only healthcare people can de- develop and implement. And the missionaries without healthcare background are out there saying, "Help me! I got into Yemen and I don't know what to do." And a lot of them speak Yemeni Arabic. So a lot of times they need you to go on and develop and implement the strategy and they will do the door-to-door work. They're evangelists, they got the language, but they don't have a health care degree and they don't know anything about the ABCs of strategies. Community transformation is a rewriting of CHE, community health evangelism. That didn't work real well in our Muslim countries. So what we did was we took CHE, which was developed by Stan Rowland and Medical Ambassadors, now LifeWind. Uh, Terry Dalrymple is here. Wonderful organization. They took secular community development and they said, huh, I wonder if we can take this and make it into a church planting strategy. Well, guys, I teach this all the time. And if you were, if I were to write down the core values of a good secular uh, WHO community development pl- uh, uh, program, I can show you how each one of those core values would also be great core values in disciple making and church planting, like community ownership. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm putting the church into their hands. I mean, there's so many similarities. But what we did was we put an emphasis on uh, house church and uh, we put an emphasis on, uh, um, I guess that's mainly it. Uh, I just rewrote it for Muslims. We've rewritten it for Chinese. It's not perfect, but it follows the ABCs. And uh, that's about a one-week training that we provide. I got five minutes for questions, I guess. Let's see if there's any more slides on here. I think that's it, right? Yeah, baby.
Yes, Dr. Gibson. So, Dr. Fielding, when you uh, go to <laughs> yes, sir. the Minister of Health and yes, sir. Uh, you've got your strategy you're implementing and he asks you directly to your face, are you, you're, are you a Christian? Are, are you planning to, to spread your religion or your faith among my people? Mm-hmm. Good question. Great question. I believe in preemptive strikes with Muslims. I learned this. From, I'm not going to tell you where I learned it. I, I try to anticipate that depending upon the personality of the people group among whom I'm going to work. Most of them are not at all suspicious. They've never had missionaries. I'm a qualified doctor. I show up. I don't usually show up and say, I'm here to do this. Okay? I usually say, I, we are a charity organization investigating work in your area, but we've noticed that you're one of the WHO uh, TB country, what's it called, the hot list countries, and we do TB strategies. So I go in there and they go, are you kidding? TB is my biggest need. Okay, So most of the time I'm not seen that way. But if I do go into a place where I think it may be an issue, then I sometimes do a preemptive strike. And I do it something like this. I'll just tell them, say, something like, I mean, I'll find a clever way somewhere in drinking tea to say, now, you know I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't use the word in Christian. Christian's political. It's inflammatory. And I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I've been doing this for 15 years. Man, I love giving away free medical care. You know, Jesus told us to go care for the poor and to, uh, to sh- share the new good news about the kingdom of God. And I don't make much money, but I love doing it. Well, it's a preemptive strike. <laughs> You know, and he'll like, well, that's really nice. <laughs> you don't know what kind of reaction you get. Does that kind of answer your question? But yeah, it's, so there's a lot of psychology involved in this, well, I mean, and a lot I of it has to do with the terminology. Make, you know, you're called to make a stand. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you have to. You yeah. Have to oh, I always you. say I'm a disciple. I would never deny that. If they say, "Are you a missionary?" Well, in America, I'm employed by a missionary organization. My money's laundered about twice so that I now work for a humanitarian aid organization. I am a qualified community development expert that does good community development. But on the other hand, sometimes I feel a little guilty. So when they say, are you a missionary, I never say no. I just say, I'm a community development expert. <laughs> and then, God's grace, I hope, there's, there's, there's a chance I'm going to slide into heaven by his, by his grace. I told you I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. It's like my only spiritual gift. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, if they come to the door with their clipboard, yeah, yeah, yeah. AK-47s, yes. and they say, they never asked you if you had were giving out Bibles or evangelizing, but if they did, yes, what would you say? I would have told the truth in a heartbeat. And the other guy that got kicked out, he actually was asked, "Have you ever given out a Bible?" And he said, "I didn't know what to say, so I said, uh, I need to go to the bathroom.'" <laughs> <laughs> and he went into the bathroom and he prayed and he said, "He, he said I came back and I lied." 
And I said, no. Man, I don't care. I've been kicked out of a country. I believe that God is sovereign over the visa office. And that took a big weight off of my mind when I finally said, it's not about me and my cleverness. It's about me obeying Jesus Christ. And the onus is on God to keep me in the country or to do whatever He wants to if I will obey Him and do my part to show up where the gospel's never been before and do my best to proclaim the gospel. The onus is on God to use that for His glory. Correct? I don't make disciples. I've got no capacity to drag Muslims into heaven. I'm a little guy. Yes, ma'am. What is the makeup of your short-term teams? Usually women. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, come on, buddy. Man, they're flocking out of here. Sorry, it is time's up. Our short-term teams are normally four to five people in size. Uh, They'll be... Primary, about 70% of our teams are made up of primary care folks that are doing uh, uh, just clinical care, uh, volunteer clinics over a period of two weeks in various places. The whole point of those clinics is to get uh, the missionaries who have the long-term strategies in place. He said the purpose purpose of the short-term teams is to advance the uh, strategy of the, the church planning strategy of the missionaries. That's the only reason for a volunteer team. God bless you. If you want to come to the Bedouin tent and hang out...